Hi friends. I titled this video, What Jesus and Fido Can Teach Us About Anxiety. Uh, and we'll get to Jesus and Fido in just a few minutes, but I want to begin with a question posed by Harvard psychologist and researcher Daniel Gilbert. It's actually a sentence that he wants us to complete in our minds. And the sentence is, the human is the only animal that dot dot dot. And uh, in one of his books, Gilbert argues that every such psychology professor, but also anyone who thinks deeply about humanity, should be able to answer that question. So how did the Harvard psychologist Daniel Gilbert finish that sentence? What is the defining feature of humanity? He wrote this, the human being is the only animal that thinks about the future. Human beings think about the future in a way that no other animal can, does, or ever has. And this simple ordinary act is the defining feature of our humanity. He goes on to note, the average adult spends 12% of their day thinking about the future. That's roughly one out of every eight hours. We can imagine things years into the future. Now, is this uniquely human ability a blessing or a curse? And the answer is both, right? Uh, without it, we likely wouldn't have most of human achievement and culture. But it does have a downside, a downside that is especially harmful to us right now as we are in the midst of this corona pandemic. It's called worry. It's called anxiety. In the uncertain times of the coronavirus, worry and anxiety are skyrocketing. It's not because we don't have our true needs met. No, it's the uncertainty of the future, right? The not knowing of what's ahead. That, that's what's getting to us. What if I get the virus? What if someone I love gets the virus? Someone, someone vulnerable? What if my job or my savings are, are threatened? What, what, what if we have to live like this for a long time? You know, some years ago, Dutch researchers conducted an experiment and they, they recruited a group of people and they were told that they would receive 20 strong electrical shocks. Now, why these people agreed to this, I don't know, but they did. And then they re recruited another group of people and told them that they would receive only three strong shocks like that, but along with 17 mild ones. But the shocks would be administered randomly. And these researchers discovered that the second group sweated more, had faster heart rates, experienced more discomfort emotionally and, and in their mind than the first group. It wasn't the it wasn't the just the shocks. It was the uncertainty that caused the discomfort. In another study, colostomy patients who knew that their colostomies would be permanent were happier six months down the road than those who were told there might be a chance it could be reversed. Once, once again, a certainty caused the greater pain and unhappiness. And that's where we are. We live in uncertainty regarding our health, the health of people we love. We live in uncertainty regarding the economy, perhaps our jobs or our economic future. We, we live in uncertainty about, well, will the stores have enough things next month? And this anxiety does what it always does. It steals our joy. It distracts from our focus on today. It depresses us and makes us fearful. What can we do? 
Well, as usual, Jesus has the best and final word on this, but it might be helpful to frame his words by a metaphor that I heard of from a, a Scottish professor and preacher named James Stewart. He made a distinction between the foreground and background of life. He used the metaphor of a painting and said that life is both a foreground and a background. The foreground are the things right in front of us, the things that we easily focus on because they're right there almost on top of us. It's the things that are seen, the things that look like they're happening. But the background of life is the invisible screen behind uh, these things, the spiritual realities that are behind us and beyond us and under us. There are divine realities and promises that are put uh, before us in the background that if we focus on them, can lead us into the right perspective. And that's what Jesus is doing here. The problem, Jesus says, is that we forget the true background of life. Well, let's look at his words. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in bars, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can any of you, by worry, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the, of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, won't he much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, let's pay attention to a few things in Jesus' teaching. Why do we have anxiety? Well, it's not because we don't have what we need. Jesus is speaking to people who did have their basic necessities met for that day. And, and, and we see this. We are tons more anxious than third world countries. Studies have shown this again and again. And if you've ever gone on a missions trip to a poor country, you've likely seen this with your own eyes. I know I have. And we don't have anxiety because, well, we've just found it so helpful and useful in the past that we can't live without it, right? It's not. It's not helpful. It's, it's detrimental. Uh, we worry about things that are never going to happen, and, and it brings all this anxiety about things we don't need to uh, have anxiety about. A study in Holland asked people to keep a detailed list of all the things they were worried about. And then later, it asked them to go over and analyze that list. Here's the good news. 91% of the things that people worried about never happened. And of course, the bad news, they had worried about them anyway. Jesus reminds us we don't change things for the better by, by worry. We don't add a single hour onto our life. We don't fix tomorrow by anxiety. We simply rob today of his joy. But how do we get beyond that? Well, at the heart of his teaching is this comparison and contrast. Watch the birds and think about the flowers. Watch the birds. They have all they need without strife or worry or frantically hoarding things up in barns. Why? Because God takes care of them. And this idea of food 
taps into our survival needs, taps into our desire to have our physical needs met, not only for today, but also for the future. The second object lesson goes beyond this, I think. He says, think about the flowers of the field. These flowers are more beautiful than Solomon in all his finest robes, even though they didn't strive to adorn themselves. And I look out the window and I see some spring flowers already, some daffodils. And it's true. They are more beautiful than any clothes I've ever seen. And it's not because they strive and get on their spinning wheels and work hard. It's because God provides their beauty. So don't worry about what to wear, he says. Now, speaking of our clothing, he's not just, I think, talking about whether we're going to have to walk around naked or not. Clothing relates to our social needs. And in their culture, even more than ours, believe it or not, your social status was tied up with what you wore. In fact, if you were wealthy, your wealth was often literally sewed in, tied into what you wore. The rich would even have gold threads mixed into their garments. Why? Well, you know, you're wealthy, you're successful, and you want to show people that you are, right? And you can't buy a Rolex, you can't buy a Jaguar, so you wear the most uh, beautiful and expensive clothing you could. Clothes showed your status, your vocation, most likely, also your class, your wealth, your achievement, success. And so in this light, Jesus says, don't worry about what to wear. God will take care of you, just as he does the flowers of the field, because you're worth a lot more to him than flowers. It's almost like he's saying, <clears throat> imagine a father who has a bunch of birds, all right, and, and these birds don't work, they don't toil, they're not stressed out, and yet they're fed every day. How irrational would it, that father have to be to care more for the birds in that cage than for the children in his own home? Does that sound like you as a parent? No. And the same father, maybe as a garden of flowers, how crazy would he have to be to care more about the needs of the flowers in his garden than the children in his house? And Jesus says, are you not much more valuable than they? And the answer is, yes, you are. God says to me, or to all of us, you are my child. I care deeply about you. If I provide for them, I will provide for you. What is Jesus doing? He's getting us to see and to focus on the background. That behind every good thing in all creation is the loving, sustaining hand of our Heavenly Father. And this is especially true of his children. Think about this in terms of our own pets. Now, they didn't really have pets in Jesus's culture, uh, but I think we could take the principles and apply them uh, because we might be able to understand uh, and see them uh, very visually. If we think about them in regard to our own pet, we're just going to call our pet Fido. You might have a cat, you might have a dog, you might have a goldfish. Fido is just going to stand in for all these. And, and I'm almost certain that you either have a pet now or, you, or you've had a pet in the past that you've taken care of. Now, let me ask you something. Consider, uh, do those pets have all their needs met? Do they have food and water and shelter? Did they have to strive and worry and work for that? Or did someone else who cared about them, you, provide that? Why? Was it because, was it not because that's simply who you are and because of your care, because of how you felt about them? Do you have someone in your life 
someone in the background of the picture who has power and resources and cares deeply about you, at least as deeply as you care about Fido? You do, right? You're not a cosmic orphan. You are not simply alone in the cosmos. You are living in the household of God. He is your father. You don't have to strive. You have someone to watch over and care for you. Now, I think it might be helpful to just explore a little bit about what we know about this one in the background. Because the more we know, the more we can give our trust to him. What do we know about him? Well, first, the very fact that he calls himself our father is amazing. Not just our creator, not just our judge, but our father. Someone who pledges himself out of love to meet our true needs. We are not his pets. We are much more. We are his children. And secondly, as our father, he cares deeply about us and we can ask him for what we need. First Peter 5.7 Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. This is the background of your life, the sovereign care of your Heavenly Father. Third, we know that this Father is able and is working all things together for our ultimate good, all things. Romans 8, 28 and 29, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? What can stand against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all good things? God is able to work all things together for our good, our ultimate good. And in this passage, we also begin to see the last thing we need to know about God, that he's the only one who understands and knows what our ultimate good looks like. You know, as parents, we get this, right? Especially as young children, they want and desire things that we know aren't the best thing for them because we have a deeper understanding of their needs and their future than they do. And how much more true of our Heavenly Father we see today, he sees all things, our past, but more especially our future and what what kind of life we will be living in that place. And he pledges himself, he pledges himself to take all things in our life and use them for that good and final purpose, which only he sees and understands fully. That's who we have in the background of our life. We are not orphans. We are not simply those who, uh, who are left to ourselves, we have a good and wise Father who is able to use everything, even evil things, even painful things, even wrong things like the pandemic, for a good purpose. He was able to do that with the cross, the ugliest, most brutal thing in history. He brought the most beautiful good out of it. He is fully able to use the pandemic in my life, in your life, for our ultimate good. Now see, if our good is simply measured in our lifespan, in our comfort, in our bank account, 
that's not a promise I can make that God will use the pandemic to increase these things. But if our good is this inner spiritual dynamic change that we need to become like Jesus Christ, to become fully human, then yes, our good Father is able to use all things. Let me close with this thought. Our anxiety, I think Jesus would, would say, our anxiety comes mainly from asking the wrong question. It's focusing on the foreground and asking the wrong question, the what if question. What if I get the virus? What if someone I love gets the virus? What if my job or my, my bank account are threatened? What happens three months down the road? And, and that question breeds anxiety. It breeds worry and fear because we don't know. Only God does. The question that brings peace and hope is not what if, but who is. Who is my God? What is he like? What is he what does he promise to do for me as, as my father? Who is in the background of my life watching over me? So, take a break from your computer and the headlines. Go find a pet, or at least a picture of a pet. Look at some flowers growing in your yard or, or maybe around and learn from them. You're not a pet. You're not a flower. But they teach us if they will let them through Jesus' words, that there is a good and wise Father in the background of our life. And if we remember to focus on the who is question, then the what if question loses so much of its fear and anxiety. Well, God bless you. Thanks for listening.